0: and what it means to uh, live bearing our cross daily and then to take some time to pray that in and to sing that uh, in response uh, to the gospel. So let's read Galatians 6, 11 to 18 together. Paul writes, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hands. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we pray that your spirit tonight would speak through your word, that we might know that peace, that mercy, and that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you would consider yourself worthy of the title, People Pleaser. Uh, Now, if you're a teenager, it tends to come under the phrase of peer pressure if you're a bit older they like a fancier word so they kind of use codependency but let me ask you some questions that will help you diagnose whether or not you are a people pleaser or not so are you the type of person who finds yourself mass- massively overcommitted? you have a real issue saying no to people or things Are you the type of person who finds yourself second-guessing decisions that you are making because you are frightened at what might happen, what people might think of you if that decision is the wrong one? Uh, Okay, here's one. Do you find yourself easily embarrassed about things? You are so governed and dictated by the perceived opinion of others. Uh, Do you find yourself... Lying, maybe even just little white lies to cover up certain things, to avoid shame? Or uh, do you find yourself sometimes deliberately avoiding certain people? Or maybe all people becoming some kind of hermit? Are you a people pleaser? Maybe you diet. Is that diet dictated by impressing others? Uh, What about... Do you find yourself making constant comparisons in your minds so that your confidence is determined by how you find yourself in a comparison to another person? Would you call yourself a people pleaser based on your own answers to those questions? I've been humbled this week because this is the last sermon on Galatians and I've realized that I have missed a massive theme in the book of Galatians that of people pleasing. Uh, Let's turn to Galatians 1 verse 10 and let me show you uh, how obvious this is and therefore how stupid I am. Chapter 1 verse 10. Paul writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. you see the exclusive things that he portrays there? Two things that cannot coexist with one another. You cannot be both a people pleaser and a servant of Christ. you see that? If I was still one, then I would not be the other. Now, Paul then develops this in his letter. He says, okay, let me show you how I'm not a people pleaser. Chapter 2, verse 6. I follow that, chapter 2, verse 6. As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. Here are some people who uh, the Galatians may be considered to be important, but to Paul he says, no difference to me. I'm not a people pleaser of trying to please important people. Now he contrasts that to Peter. Look down to chapter 2, verse 12. Here is Peter, the people pleaser before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Do you see how trying to be a people pleaser dominated Peter so much that he stopped eating with certain people? Do you see the contrast between Paul and Peter? Paul comes back and proves his own point in chapter 5, verse 11. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Where Peter uh, shied away, moved, changed his eating habits because of seemingly important people, Paul is not the same. He will not even shrink back from persecution because he is not a people pleaser. And as we get to the end of the letter, chapter six, 11 to 18, Paul takes the pen from his scribe, and you see starts to write in large letters. This is the text message that comes in caps locks. This is important. And the boldness of Paul's handwriting underscores the force of his convictions. And what he does tonight is lay out the difference between people-pleasers and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And we have a contrast here this evening. In verses 12 to 13, he unmasks these false teachers as people-pleasers. These people that are trying to persuade you, try to teach you, Paul says, let me unmask their motives. Show them for what they really are. And then by contrast, in verses 14 to 18, he's going to say, okay, let me model to you service to the Lord Jesus. He wants to do this because who you follow, who your leaders are, uh, often determines how you live and what you are like. Trivial example. I've been learning from Paul Reese for two years. And I I think I'm starting to become more like Paul Reese as I spend more time with them. That's natural because we come like our leaders. So whether it's my jokes are getting worse and my smile is getting broader and my Welsh accent is slightly improving, we do become like those who we follow. And Paul wants to both expose the false teachers and their motives, but also model service to the Lord Jesus that we would pick our leaders carefully and that we would follow Paul, not those who are people pleasers. Do you understand where we're going tonight? So let's see three things about these people pleasers in verses 12 to 13. The issue, if you've been with us through the series in Galatians, has been circumcision. In verse 12, Paul talks about these people who are compelling you to be circumcised. Now, Paul is going to say circumcision, uncircumcision, they're nothing, but they're vitally important if you attach a saving significance to them. These men are coming and saying to the Galatian Christians, if you want to be right with God, you must be circumcised. And here in these verses, these final verses, that Paul writes in large letters with his own hand, he says, okay, let me peel back the layers a second. Let me show you the motive behind what they are saying. Three things. First one, look with me at verse 12. They want to make a good impression Outwardly, Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. What is the motive behind this false teaching? Do not be mistaken. It is not anything righteous. It is not anything that is to be admired. It is simply to get a good standing before men. It's a purely outward, external thing. Whenever you see purely external or outward religion in the Bible, it is always bad. Remember... Uh, Isaiah 29, where the people who honor God with their lips, yet where are their hearts? Miles from them. They're condemned. Uh, Do you remember Jesus in Mark chapter 7? He confronts the Pharisees because of an external outward appearance. And he says, you are so concerned with external things coming into you, what you should be concerned about is the internal heart and how it reveals what you really are. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 11, when again he confronts the Pharisees and he says, you are so concerned with the outside of the cup that you're not bothered about the ming that is inside. In the Bible, outward external acts with no inward reality are always bad. And so Paul just brings this motive of the false teachers right up in the open and says, look at these men who are teaching you. All they are concerned about is an outward externalized religion. Now see what that leads to. Number two, second half of verse 12, the only reason they do this, okay, this is significant, this is the reason, the only reason is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Why are these men telling Galatian Christians to be circumcised? Because they want to avoid persecution. They are not concerned about the Galatians getting a right standing with God. They are only concerned about their own standing before men. It seems that the situation is something like uh, the Jewish hub is concerned, does not like the fact that the Apostle Paul is winning scores and scores of Gentile Christians into the church. And when they see this, They are angry and are beginning to persecute any Jew who is seen associating with Gentile converts. Anyone who eats like Peter is persecuted. So imagine Mr. Jew who doesn't want to be persecuted and so he says, okay, how do I get out of this one? I know. I'll compel these Gentiles to be circumcised. That'll reveal to the Jewish church my zeal for Jewish religion. And then I'll avoid persecution. Do you see it? What's our motive? It is not for the good of the Gentile believers. It is self-protection. It is to avoid persecution. No interest in their standing before God, only their own standing before men. It is utter hypocrisy. See that they do not even obey the same law that they are impressing upon the Galatians. What an empty motive. Making someone cut off her foreskin just so you can avoid persecution. Shallow, isn't it? People pleasing. People pleasers will do anything for themselves even if it means harm to others. And you see the third thing they do? Verse 13. uh, End of verse 13. That they might boast about your flesh. So it's not only for self-protection but it is for self- promotion they want to boast it's that when you when you start to think about this this is a horrible thing that's going on uh, they want to go back to the jewish church and say you want to see how good i am you want to you want to hear something that's worthy of boasting about look how many foreskins i have got it's a horrible thing see that boasting in the flesh of these Galatian Christians so that they themselves might avoid persecution and might rise in the pecking ladder of the Jewish church. People pleasers who will boast in the harm of others that they themselves might be exalted. One writer says they disturbed the whole church for the sake of their own personal it's like they're on this kind of commission driven evangelism and they want to boast in church statistics rather than carry burdens do you see the motives of these people i've been trying to work out the whole way through galatians why on earth would they try and compel people to be circumcised what is the motive and paul reveals it it is as shallow as being a people pleaser some people seem important they fear certain people and they will destroy a church that they might be promoted it's tragic it's empty and yet that same external outward appearance is so often in my heart so what does paul do well he deliberately contrasts this false teaching everything he says in these next four or five verses contrasts these three things He attacks them. He inverts them that we might see not what a people pleaser is, but actually what it means truly to be a servant of Christ. You know, Paul knew, I I guess he heard the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant is not greater than his master. And if his master is defined by a life shaped by the cross, by a life that was inviting of persecution. Then his servant cannot be any different from his master. And so, look at these three things. First one in verse fourteen: May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, "You want to boast in their flesh? Okay, let me tell you where true boasting, where my only, exclusive boasting lies, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ." Now. In the culture of the day, that was a shocking statement. Uh, That would not have been received well. Take the kind of Greco-Roman mindset that is very much a kind of unashamed value of human assertiveness. It was a culture not unlike our own of the kind of self-esteem, self-promotion. So they valued strength, beauty, power, rhetoric, logic, anything that promoted the self, they adored. And so that meant that... Uh, The cross was not even allowed to be permitted in a whisper in public. So detestable, so deplorable, so despicable, so cursed, so weak, so foolish. You did not talk about it. Uh, It was hated not only in the culture, but actually even by the self-righteous religious people. They hated it. Because the cross takes their feet away from them and cuts them down to size. and says there is no place for a self-righteous, self-promotion. And so when Paul writes, may I boast only, exclusively, in nothing except the cross. That's weird. That's surprising. You know, in our, you watch the Olympics. It is all about the boasting of and the glorying in people in their uh, the prime of physical fitness. I watched the men's gymnastics last night. It is horrible, but it is all about these uh, men just asserting their. Uh, I don't know. It's just everything about the Olympics to stand up in the opening Olympic ceremony and say, "Okay, let me boast in a cross." It's bizarre. Why does Paul do this? How can Paul do this? Let me show you two reasons from the end of Galatians. Firstly, there is a triple crucifixion. Do you see that in verse 14? May I never boast except, one, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, two, through which the world has been crucified to me, three, and I to the world. Now, what is happening when Jesus dies on the cross? Well, firstly, most importantly, Jesus is crucified in a curse-bearing death. He bears the curse, the power, the oppression of the law for those who believe in Christ. So that the curse is removed from me that I might have blessing. Death is removed from me that I might have life. But do you see what else is going on at the cross? It is not just that Jesus is crucified but that the world is crucified to the believer, and the believer is crucified to the world. If you're a Christian tonight, you look back at the cross, and you say, I died there. It is to say that all that the world was to me, it's glory, it's boast, it's allurements, it's temptations. All that the world was is dead. It's been crucified. And it's to say, all that I was to the world, my boasts, my trust, my boasting, that is dead to the world. So that not only Jesus died at the cross, but I died. My old man, my sinful nature was crucified with his passions and desires. So that we look back to the cross and say, I died there. Do you see that triple crucifixion? Paul says, why would I boast in the cross? Because everything that deserved death and curse and everything that tempted and allured me is now dead. There is an annihilative power at the cross for the Christian. There is a deadening power for the Christian at the cross. know why Paul will boast in it. But you notice the second thing? It is not only to say that I am dead at the cross so that I no longer... I'm trying to please people, but they are dead to me. Look what else, verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is what? A new creation. So at the cross, for the Christian, there is not only a death, but there is new life. There is not only something that is crucified, there is something that is created. So that at the cross, as Jesus dies and rises by his Spirit, he creates new life in the believer. He creates new passions, new desires, a new heart, a new nature, and even new behaviors. So how can Paul start to boast in the cross of Christ, glory in the cross of Christ, say that this cross is wonderful and amazing and beautiful, Because at the cross, it is a place of new creation. Where I not only died, but I have risen. Now, an important part here. This language of new creation actually sums up everything that Paul has said in Galatians so far. These are two words which encapsulate his entire argument. Here's why. Because it sums up that creation is sorry, salvation is not of man and his cooperation with God, but it is a new work that is entirely of God. Just as when God created the universe, he created from nothing. Matter didn't cooperate with him, he spoke to nothing, and things came. So that when it comes to salvation, it is not that God comes to us and cooperates with our good works or our circumcision. It is that He comes and He creates life from where there was nothing. Do you see that? Uh, Let me quote to you from a systematic theologian, Louis Berkhoff. He writes, "Uh, Regeneration or new creation is a creative work of God's and is therefore a work in which man is purely passive, and in which there is no place for human cooperation. This is a very important point, since it stresses the fact that salvation is wholly of God. Good old Louis. He hit it on the head. New creation. Salvation is wholly of God's grace through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what happens for the Christian? Verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow what? This rule. What is this rule? It is the truth of the death of the Christian at the cross and the new creation beyond that. So that my rule for existence is nothing in line with the world and its desires or the world and its formats or the world and its priorities. But everything now for the Christian is ruled and understood through and saved through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So that my boasts are no longer in the things of the world, but they come through the cross of Christ exclusively. So that I am no longer bound up with the people-pleasing attitude of my sinful desires, but I boast only in the uh, perfect work of God, in the complete salvation of the cross. I, I spoke just over a year ago. I remember speaking to a non-Christian guy. And then two weeks ago, speaking to a completely different man. And they both said the same things to me. They said, you know what? If, if I was to become a Christian, I don't think much would change in my life. Uh, it would stay pretty similar. Completely missed the point, haven't they? It's not just an ascent to some intellectual truth. What is the change for the Christian? It is that You die. Isn't it? That's a change. And then is it you are new creation? That's a change. It's completely different. Oh, I wouldn't change much. You do not understand Christianity, because it is a creative work of God, where your whole worldview is reorientated away from the self-promoting, self-protection, self-boasting self, and comes through the cross of Christ in the humility that says it's all of him, and so he is only my boast. Do you see that? That is the rule for the Christian. That is what dictates and governs every attitude. Triple crucifixion and a new creation. So he says, I'm going to boast only on the cross. Uh, Second thing. Getting carried away. Second thing. He will suffer persecution. Here are these false teachers driven by people pleasing. And it drives them to what? Avoid persecution. What about Paul? He will bear it. You know, both both the false teachers and Paul knew the same thing. That to follow Jesus Christ faithfully and to proclaim the gospel unflinchingly is to invite persecution. Paul writes elsewhere, those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Martin Luther, one of the most important characters in church history, says that persecution is one of the key marks of the church. A servant is not greater than his master. And so this rule that Christ died for him and that he died to the world and the world to him means that Paul will not avoid persecution, but he will suffer it. He will endure it. He will face it as he follows the Lord Jesus. Do you know what? The, the Galatian Christians would have known this. Uh, the Galatian letter was probably a circular letter that went around a bunch of churches in the region, which means it probably went to the church in Lystra. And in the book of Acts, we read this. Uh, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd in Lystra over. They stoned Paul dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. And they knew that he bore on his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them may even have been surprised to get a letter from Paul because they thought he was dead. They knew he was willing to suffer for the gospel. But because he had died to the world and died to his people pleasing and even died to the people that he wanted to please... He will happily face persecution as he follows his master Christ. I I think there's probably a, a low blow at the Galatians here. I think Paul uses this language deliberately. Here are these Galatian Christians who say, okay, I want to boast in a physical mark that I'm truly one of God's people. I want to boast in my circumcision as a mark, an external marker that I am serious about my religion. What does Paul say? You want an external marker? You want a physical thing? Okay, here it is. Not circumcision, but persecution. That is the true mark of Christianity. That we are persecuted for the gospel. He says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as they boast in the flesh, he boasts only in the cross. As they avoid persecution, he says, I suffer it and where they were concerned with external, outward appearances, in verse 18, he prays something quite different. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He says it is not primarily about an external marker. It is about God's undeserved kindness, about his marvelous and amazing grace permeating your whole being. It is about understanding this in your spirit, not marking it in your body. Do you see how Paul contrasts these three things? I've tried to show that in the PowerPoint. As they go one, two, three, and he says, okay, I'm going to contrast your boasting, contrast your attitude to persecution, contrast your external markers. And he says, if I was still trying to be a people pleaser, I would not be defined by these three things. Uh, Come back to chapter 1, verse 10. And ask this question of yourself. Are you now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Are you trying to please men? I wonder if you are the over-committed, second-guessing, easily embarrassed, lying, jealous, hermit, dieting people-pleaser. I wonder if you're marked by words like making a good outward impression. I wonder if your Christianity is only an external thing. I wonder if you're all about self-protection. I wonder if you are about self-promotion. Paul says, if I'm still trying to be if i'm still trying to please men i am not a servant of christ Do you know if there is no newness to your life since accepting christ if there is not a radical change if there is no persecution suffering for christ is it a telltale sign that actually you are a people pleaser that, that transformation hasn't actually happened. It's the reason that you call yourself a Christian actually a product of your being a people pleaser. Do you call yourself a Christian to please certain people? Uh, I wonder if the reason you're not a Christian tonight actually is that you are a people pleaser, that you're more dominated by the opinions of non-Christians who you consider... To be important, who you fear. Paul says tonight, if I were still a people pleaser, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, I I hope you find encouragement in those words. Because Paul says, if I were still, you know what that infers? That he once was. That Paul once struggled as a people pleaser but now he's not. Where where does this power come from? Where does the power come from to transfer my heart, to transform me? Where is a greater power than peer pressure? Only in the gospel, in that triple crucifixion, where not only Christ died for you, but you died to the world and the world to you. And so if you're a Christian here tonight, and this is a real battle for you, do you know what you need to do? Every morning when you wake up, every time this temptation is real, it is to grip yourself, to grab yourself by the collar and say, you died. You died at the cross. And I am now new. I died and I am now new. Life in the Spirit means that as we comprehend this a truth in our head and it grips our hearts and it, it then works itself out in our hands it will transform our lives to reflect this newness it comes and the power only comes as we remember that we died and we, we are brand new and he calls us to live in this newness So what does that look like? Well, maybe tomorrow morning you grab yourself by the collar and say, I died, I am new, therefore today I don't need people to affirm me, but I can interact with them regardless of their affirmation. Maybe it's that you grab yourself by the collar and say, I died and I am new, therefore I don't need to avoid those who make me feel worse about myself. But I can hang out and embrace anyone. Maybe it's to say, I died and I am new, therefore I don't need to look up at others wishing I was like them, but I can just be myself. Maybe it's to say, I died and I'm new, so I can say, I don't need to be threatened by those who are better than me, but I can rejoice in the gifts and the abilities that God has given them. Maybe it's to say, do you know what? I died and I am new, therefore I don't need to treat people like they are an audience to win over, but I can treat them as individuals whom I can love. Maybe it's that you can say, I died and I am new, therefore I don't need to come to church fearing that I will be found out as a fraud, but I can come rejoicing in grace. Maybe it's that you can say, I died and I am new. Therefore, I can make a stand for Christ at work. I can risk being ridiculed, rejected, because I am a servant of Christ. And I would rather be persecuted as a servant of Christ than be condemned as a people pleaser. I want you to leave this evening with that question from chapter 1, verse 10, ringing in our ears. Am I trying to please men? And to read these words that we started with tonight from our Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 8. Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I think this is so. Galatians 10. For whoever wants to save his life, that is, whoever wants to avoid persecution, he'll lose it. And he says, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel, that is, whoever will suffer persecution, he will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? What good is it for you to boast in everything and yet forfeit your soul? I want to sing. Not on my own. I want us to sing. Uh, and I do want us to respond now, tonight. To do business tonight. That if we have been convicted that we are people pleasers. That we would start now by singing. I want to boast only in the cross. I want to remember that I'm dead to the world. And like Paul to say, this is the most marvelous thing in the world. That I want to live by this rule that I've died and I've been made new. Do you want to sing? We need to boast in this cross, don't we? Let's stand. And we're going to sing two songs together When I Survey, uh, and then a second one.